Let us pray for receptive hearts as we enter the service of the word. Loving God, you teach us that if we lack wisdom, we should turn to you and ask for what we need because you give to all generously and ungrudgingly. We know that we have so much to learn about your ways. Open wide your word to us and give us wisdom to understand the things you want to teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's gospel reading is taken from John, chapter 10, verses 7 through 11. The Gospel of the Lord. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, brothers and sisters. <laughs> um, so today is the, the year anniversary of my first sermon that I've ever preached to a congregation, um, and that's to you. Thank you. Uh, I think it's been six sermons in the past year, so you haven't had too much of me, which is good. Um, but uh, I just want to thank you because I have grown in my walk with Christ. I have grown in my love for his body and for his kingdom and for him because of you. And because of your invitation to a guy who's just out of seminary, who is not even 30 years old, though I'm getting close, has very little life experience. You said, hey, Sam, we want to hear what you say about the Word of God. And, and not only am I very thankful for what you've done for me in this, but I also want to thank congregations in general, which you are part of. You allow um, pastors and leaders in the church to spend their lives devoting every minute to the Word of God. And that's a luxury you don't get. The luxury you pay me for. And that's huge, guys. That's, that's just that's a beautiful thing. So thank you, thank you, thank you for a year of loving me, for a year of inviting me into your homes, uh, for a year of listening to me babble through sermons, um, and for a year of, of showing your love for me. And if, if you're new here, I want to recommend this church to you, not because of the great preaching that you will hear. I won't normally be preaching but because of the love of this congregation. 
Um, our passage is going to come from Galatians, or is Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. Um, and as you turn there, it's on page 1816. I want to tell you a story that came to my head while I was um, studying this passage. So I, I don't know how many of you are fans of the show um, Parks and Rec. If, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so if, if, you're, if you're not and you've never seen it, it's okay. I'll give you a, a little recap. The show is about um, a group of people that work in the office. It's kind of a you know, mock of the office in a sense, although it's very different. And uh, the main character, her name is Leslie Nope, and she works her way into your heart through seven series of, of, of shows. But um, in the second season, she meets, she meets this guy. And this guy is named um, Justin Anderson. And I want to just talk about Justin Anderson for a second. She, they become, um, they get in a relationship. And uh, Justin is the kind of guy who impresses everyone because of his experiences. He's a lawyer. He's smart. He's good looking. He has been everywhere. He knows everyone. He's just like, he's that guy that you, that you desperately want to impress. Right? Here's just a couple of quotes from the show about Justin Anderson. They're, they're humorous. I can't wait to talk to Justin again. Last time, he told me about how he snorkeled with whale sharks in, the Madaga in Madagascar. That was after I told him that I sometimes go swimming at the Y. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, is that Justin's coat? Yeah. It's awesome, isn't it? He got it in Cambodia when he was hiking Mount Everest. Right, this is, this is the guy that Leslie dates, and she's, he's just awesome. He lets everybody knows that he's awesome all the, all the time. Well, anyways... Uh, it gets to the point where she's constantly trying to um, keep him happy in Little Pawnee, Indiana. He's tr she's trying to help him just to enjoy her and, and, and the relationship. And at one point she's telling him a story about what she thinks is the greatest love story ever told. And the greatest love story ever told is about Leslie's mother. Leslie's mother, when she was 18, is swimming in Bermuda, gets caught in a riptide, is swept, swept out to sea. She thinks she's going to die, and she describes it this way. Then a pair of great strong arms wraps around me and yanks me out of the water, or out of the tide. And I look up, and here is this dashing lifeguard, and he looks at me and says, Are you okay? And I look at him and say, Now I am. And then they spend two other days together, and then he never, she never even knows his name. It's over. Right? That's the, that's the wonderful, amazing love story. Um, and so Justin hears this story, and he says, Leslie, we've got to find this guy. We've got to reunite this guy with your mom. And Leslie's like, ah, oh, Justin, you know, it's been years, it's been decades. Like, this is not, like, we don't have to do this. And Justin's like, oh, no, I'm going to do this. So Justin does research, finds the guy. They go and find out that he's only like six hours away. And it's Valentine's Day, and there's a party that night. And Justin says, Leslie, wouldn't it be awesome if we bring this guy home or back to the, the party and your, your mom and hers, her long-lost love make up and the relationship can blossom then. And Leslie's like, okay, we'll deal with Justin. I like you. Let's, let's go. So they drive. They find the guy. They pick him up. And as soon as they meet him, from the very minute that he starts talking, you're like, oh, no, this guy's a creep. This, this guy's really come a long way since Bermuda. Um, and he's saying things that are just not good. He's, he's 
hinting at, at stuff that he's done that just not the guy that you want to bring home to your mom, <laughs> you know? So anyway, um, they're driving back the six hours, and every gas stop, Leslie's begging Justin not to go through with this. She's like, Justin, let's not do it. Let's not do it. Justin's like, oh, no, it'll be great. They finally get to Pawnee, and Leslie looks at Justin and says, no, I'm not going through with this. And Justin looks in the back seat and says, oh, he slipped out. He's gone. He went inside to go find your mom. And Leslie goes in, and sure enough, disaster breaks out. Leslie's mom is incredibly embarrassed, and it's just, you know, a sad, kind of humorous, but sad ending to this once the greatest romance. And while Leslie's trying to pick up the broken pieces of her mom's um, dignity, in one sense, uh, she hears Justin talking about the whole situation. And Justin's the hero, and he's telling the story like as, as if he had climbed Mount Everest. Look at what I did. Look at what we did. Look at what we found. And she's just torn up. And so she goes over to one of her good friends, whose name is Ron, Ron Swanson. He plays a huge role in the story. But um, she goes to him, and he says, hey, what's, what's the matter? And she says, Justin's just being a jerk right now. And this is what he says, and this is why I told you this whole story. <laughs> All right, for this line. Um, he says, Leslie, Justin's a tourist. He vacations in people's lives, takes pictures, puts them in scrapbooks, and moves on. All he's interested in is stories. He's selfish. He's not like you. Um, Justin, in other words, is a serial manipulator. He uses people and experiences to better himself. He uses people to make himself seem more desirable, more interesting, more cool. And my question for you is, have you ever known a guy like Justin? Has a guy like Justin ever stepped into your life, put his arm around you, and then took it away when you desperately needed it to stay? Have you ever been a guy like Justin? Where you've manipulated someone to get a story, to get an experience, Maybe for you it was a church leader who demanded that you be at a certain place so he could look better. Maybe you were sacrificed on you know, the school playground where a bunch of kids ended up laughing at you. Maybe friends turned their back on you. I mean, this has happened to us all, guys. This is the world we live in. This is... This is just the brokenness of life after the fall. And I want you not only to put yourself in Leslie's shoes for a moment and feel the pain that I know you've experienced at some point, but I also want you to feel how you've done that to another, how we've manipulated. And with that, let's look to see what St. Paul says to a church of victims and abusers to a church of people who've been manipulated and to a church of people who have manipulated. What does he say? All right, I hope you're there now. 18.16, Galatians 6.11-18. Let's read and then we'll pray. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. 
Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision <laughs> neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Mold us to it. Help us to see it um, in the light that you want us to see it in. Be with me as I convey your word, Father. Give me um, wisdom and clarity. Lord, be with these people, your saints, the ones that you love, that they may know both the freedom and the conviction of your gospel. In your name I pray. Amen. So what's going on here? What's happening at the end of this story? Um, if you haven't been with us much in the past couple of months, um, we've been going through the book of Galatians. And here's just a quick uh, backdrop for the book. Galatians is about um, where you find your value. And that is very, 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 very um, nuanced and very, very condensed version. It's about a lot more than just that. But, and Keller says this wonderfully, which they oft he often does, Everyone is looking for value. Everyone is looking to be built up for affirmation. It's, it's a drive in our, in our hearts. And the question of this text is where do you find it? And there are two options. There's one, which is who Paul calls um, uh, the circumcision party. And they're saying, you find that value and you find that um, affirmation in the uh, cultural works of the law. Things like circumcision. Things like uh, the feast days, eating and drinking on the right days. That's where you find it. You keep those and you will find favor. It's like the fiddler on the roof line. God, We know exactly what God demands of us. And we know it. it, it that's it. I've messed it up. We, <laughs> uh, God knows exactly what He demands of us. And we know exactly what He demands of us as well. And so we can walk the path and do it. Right? So that's the one approach. And Paul's approach is that you find affirmation by connecting yourself with the Gospel and by connecting yourself with the cross. And the Galatians are at a turning point. Which one will they choose? And this five-page letter is Paul's final words to them saying, don't go down that road, brothers. Right? Don't go down that road. So this passage is just packed with emotion. Because this is his last six verses or so, seven verses, of that beg for them not to follow the wrong road. Not to go with the works of the law that will not bring them justification or any kind of feelings of affirmation. He's saying, hey guys, don't go there. And this is, this is his last punch. 
And with this last punch, he wants to like knock you back from the brink. So just think, if you've ever been in a situation, and I know if I've talked about a lot of situations so far already, but this is just the last one, where you're talking with someone who's about to go make the biggest mistake of his or her life. And you know it. And you're begging the person not to go. And you're saying, no, don't, don't, don't get out of the car. No, don't hang up the phone. No, don't take that next drink. Don't hit that last drug. Don't do that. Don't do that. And you're thinking, how can I, how can I say it better? How can I really show them that this is a mistake that will ruin their lives? Don't get back in that relationship with him. He'll destroy you. He just uses you. He doesn't care about you. Don't get back in that relationship with her. She doesn't love you. And she wants to take you in places you don't want to go. Right? Have you been there? And here's one that some of you have maybe felt. You're about to give your keys to your 16-year-old son or daughter. And you're saying, this car can kill you. This car can harm others. And you don't have any control. Right? And you know eventually you're just going to have to hand him the key or hand her the key she's going to go. You're just going to pray. That's where Paul is. This is the end of his letter. This is his last hoorah. Don't go this way. And so what's he going to do? And how's he going to say it? What's he going to say to draw them back from the brink? Well, he's going to say two things. So I, there's already a curveball, right? Not three. But the third thing he's going to say is something that's going to blow your mind. Or at least it blew mine as a people pleaser. And so I'll leave the third one for later. First, he's going to reveal the boast of his rivals. He's going to shine the light on what they're doing. Then, he's going to um, revel in the boast of the cross. He's going to juxtapose those two. And say, hey, look, here's the difference. And guys, it's both wonderfully hard and wonderfully beautiful. And then the third thing is a surprise. <laughs> I know what it is. I'm not, I'm not unprepared, but um, <laughs> it is going to be a surprise. So let's look at um, verses 11, and then we're going to look at 12 and 13. But with me, 11 real quick. And here you'll see what I'm talking about with that emotion pushing back from the brink. Ready? See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. If you guys get a text in all caps, what do you think? <laughs> right? You get a te- text from me that says, fantastic, in all caps. You're like, oh, Sam's super excited. You get a text in all caps that doesn't say fantastic. That may say something else. Right? Who knows? Maybe something I can't say from here. Right? Then, then, then you know. Then, like, then you know, oh no, someone's really serious. They're trying to catch my attention. This, this is Paul's way of bolding his statement, underlining it putting ten exclamation points on either side and trying to make the font bigger. And he literally does make the font bigger, right? So, see with what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, he starts to reveal the boast of the other. Listen, or look with me in verse 12. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. We're just going to stop right there for a second and we're going to take this sentence apart. And I know this is unusual for our types of preaching, but just bear with me because as we dig into this, it becomes more and more beautiful. Those who are trying to make a good impression. 
those who are trying to make themselves look good. The word is um, your prospo, kind of. I just butchered that. <laughs> but that's essentially what the word is. And it's all about your face. They want to have the good face. They want to walk smoothly and feel relaxed. They want to be the wise ones. Right? That's who they are. Hey, those who want the good face, listen to what they do. And they want it outwardly. This is not an uh, internal heart thing that they're working towards. This is an outward, fleshy thing. They're trying to compel you to be circumcised. Now, circumcision is a strange thing, and we don't have to get into um, all of what it, it, it is in the Old Testament and here. But what we do need to talk about is that these people that Paul is calling out are using your bodies to make them look good. He says it at the end of 13 in just the most disgusting way. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. And all the commentators say the same thing. That second flesh in the end of 13 is referring, not because it's the word, but is referring to the foreskins of, this, of circumcision. They want to take from you. They want to force you to do something so they look good. They want to eat you alive. They want to devour you and they want to look really good because of it. Now Paul, in between those two statements, jams two other problems with these rival teachers. Here's one. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they want to rip you up so that they don't get beat up. Right? They want to come at your body. They want to come at, at you so that they can look so good and that they don't have to stand with the persecution of the Christians. And then, in the first half of 13, not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised. They're using you to make themselves look really good. They don't want to be attached to Christ and His body, and that's why they're calling you to be circumcised. And they don't want to be persecuted for it either. They just want to look good and to feel good. And finally, they're absolute hypocrites. They can't do what they're telling you to do. They're manipulators. They're using you. They're eating you up. I heard a story this week about a friend of mine who um, was new in town. Um, and he was hanging out and didn't have any friends, and a bunch of guys invited him to come play a football game, tackle football game. He was pumped. He was so excited. So he, he went to the game, and it was a great, he had a great time. He loved it. He enjoyed it immensely. And then the next day, someone who was not a friend came up to him and said, hey, you know, the only reason we invited you to play tackle football was so we could all tackle you. 
You know that, guys? You know that feeling? You've been set up? Someone used you to make themselves look good. Who is it? Think about it. Who have you used? When was it you that hit someone because you just really wanted to hit them? You invited them because you really wanted to put it on them. That's what we're talking about. And that's what Paul's talking about. And Paul is saying, this is the way of the world. It's what Keller said earlier. Everyone's looking for affirmation. And if no one's going to give it, then you've got to rip someone next to you. It's, it's, the, it's the bear, right? How fast you have to run to get away from the bear, faster than the guy next to you, right? Which is funny and so sad. Right? You're going to take advantage of the guy who's slower than you. Right? And you're going to win. And that guy's going to get eaten. That's what this text is saying. And Paul is saying, that's what these guys are doing. That's who they are. They boast in your flesh. Uh, it reminds me of hanging around a college dorm with a bunch of guys talking about the girls that they slept with. You know, not that that happened very often at Covenant. I began this sermon by thanking you for allowing me access to your lives, for allowing me access to the lives of your kids, for you who are in youth group, for allowing me access into your lives. It's been a wonderful blessing. And I have to say this, pastors, and teachers are heinous manipulators at times. Dave Gill posted a story just this week, you know, of another failure of a pastor who had the opportunity not to eat up his congregation, who had the, who had the opportunity to love his congregation, brothers and sisters, on behalf of pastors. Let me apologize to the way that we use and eat you up. If you've been hurt by a church, you're not alone. If, been, if you've been used and crawled over by a church, you're not alone. And I would love to promise you that won't happen here. I'd love to. But I know my own people-pleasing tendencies. I've expressed them with you from this pulpit. I know my sinfulness. And I know the danger it is of inviting someone like me into your house. Inviting someone like me into your home. Because so many pastors who have been charged with the Word of God have used it for this very reason. To make a good appearance. To use you to make a good appearance of themselves. I want to thank you for the year again. Pray for me. Friends, pray for Keith. Pray for Greg. We need it. Pray for one another. Love one another. Do support for one another. If you see us eating you up, you call us out. If you see me eating you up, you call Keith. You call Chris Madsen. You call Eric Kenyon, Ted Spade. Call our elders. Let them know we cannot be doing this. We're tasked with, some, with something so much more beautiful. We're tasked with something so much more wonderful. And thank the Lord that I get to talk about that next, because I won't be able to handle much more of this. <laughs>
All right. Um, verse 14. Going back to the Greek. The, uh, the Greek here is so fantastically beautiful. And I'm not going to tell you that the Greek unlocks all kinds of treasures because it doesn't. I'm just really bad at Greek, so it takes me a long time to write something else out. So I have to like linger on every word. and like, oh, what does moi mean? And I have to go look it up. So um, the way that this sentence is phrased is just fantastic because the first word is a um, pronoun for I that is unnecessary. Paul's going to say that it's him in the verb and the verb ending of the Greek word, verb, right? He's going to identify who he's talking about. But he uses this I to like emphasize, hey, I, right at, the, right at the top, for me, as for me. And then he uses the strongest negation that you can find in the, in the New Testament. He says, Meganoita. May it never be. May it never be that I boast. And, I, and the text goes on, but just to stop there and talk about this mood that this, past, that this word is in. It's called um, the optative mood, and it can do like two things. One, it can just be, you know, boom, hit you in the face. I'm saying this really strong. May it never be, right? And that's how it's used pretty often. But it also can be used almost as a wishful prayer with that strong intent, right? So Martin Luther, and he is the man, <laughs> sorry, um, he says, he translates it, may God help me that I may never be this kind of guy who boasts in the flesh of others. Right? So at first it's, may I never be, Lord, help me, may I never be. God, help me. And then it's this beautiful exception. May I never boast except, it's like when, um, you know, the wicked sisters of Cinderella are like, oh, you said if, if, you know, and Cinderella's like trying to get everything done and the, the stepmother, the cool stepmother's like, yeah, that's right. You guys didn't hear me. I didn't say Cinderella could go to the ball. I said she could only go to the ball if she gets all this done, right? Here it's just the opposite. It's a beautiful if. I will never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What's going on? What's he saying? What's Paul doing? So, we know what the other guys are like. We know what they're trying to make you do. They're saying, hey, live according to these laws so that you can be righteous. And internally they're saying, because if you do that, I look awesome. Kind of like a pyramid scheme. The more people you get involved, the better you look, right? That's what they're saying. And Paul is saying, may I never boast in anything, in anybody else, in anybody's life. May I never use someone like that? May I never eat someone up like that? No, I will boast in the cross of Christ and the cross of Christ only. And the term for boast, which is used in many places, it's kind of like a battle cry. Um, I just watched Infinity Wars. Like, just watched Infinity Wars, so I'm really late to the game. And I just love it when uh, T'Challa is standing in front of his warriors and he goes, oh, I'm going to kill this. I'm so sorry. Um, um Bombay, right? 
He says something like that. He's like, Umba Bay! And they all go, Umba Bay! And they're all pumped, right? That's what the boast is. It's, it's the charge. It's, um, it's, uh, the Scottish warrior with the two-handed sword saying, Freedom! Right? Like that's, that's what we're talking about. This is my boast. This is what I stand in. This is what I charge in. It's the cross of Christ. Now, let's talk about the cross of Christ. And I don't do this for cheap points. You know, you always hear someone say, oh, the cross of Christ, that's a, that's a torture device. Yes. And that's what I'm going to say. I'm not doing it just to, to make a cheap point. I'm, I'm really, um, the cross of Christ, to boast in that, to yell freedom is really cool. Umbambe, also pretty cool. <laughs> the cross, not cool. The cross is something that if you're in a Roman society, everyone's going to be like, oh, you just said the F word. I'm like, no. No. That's for slaves, and only for slaves. We're civilized people. We don't talk about the cross here. And then if you're in, if you're in the group of slaves, and you say the word cross, they shudder, because that's a real and present danger to them. That could be the way that they die. And if you're amongst the Jews, and Galatians picks this up, it says, cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. Cursed. God curses anyone who hangs on the tree. Right? So, for Jews, the cross is incredibly, incredibly offensive. For Romans, it's incredibly offensive. For slaves and for non-Romans, it's terrifying and offensive. You don't play with this stuff and you certainly don't yell it and charge into battle. Like, that's nuts. No one's going to be like, yeah, <laughs> the cross. No. So what's he doing? We can never lose the offense of the cross, friends. There's not just the way it was talked about, even though we have it on necklaces now and we have it here in the church and we, we do love the cross and it's a beautiful symbol. But even today, it is incredibly offensive because the, the cross says you can't be good enough. The cross says it's not okay just to live well in a different religion, that God smiles on that. The cross is intolerant. The, the cross is exclusive. The cross says to people who want to be good. You're not. And the cross says to people who already feel frustrated about religious people and the cross, it says you're wrong and you're doomed. That's what the cross says. Because when you look at the cross and you see the mangled body up there and you see his body is torn to shreds, Jesus' body is torn to shreds, and his clothing is gone and he's naked, and he's got a crown of thorns, and his nails are, the nails are pierced through his hands and he's suffocating and he's crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have to see that that's where you should be. That's what you should be hearing. That's what your sin requires. God is not heartless. We're fools. And we deserve death. And when you look at the cross, it has to be offensive to you for you to really love it. Because if it's not offensive to you, then you're just going to say, Jesus, what a great guy. We don't know why he had to die, but he may have gone too far, right? But he did a lot of good things. Yay, Jesus. Which in, in part is good. I don't want anyone to be saying, boo, Jesus. Right? There's, there's value in that. But when Paul sees the cross, 
He sees his own body that should be there. He feels the rejection that he should feel. He feels the stab in his side. He knows, I should be experiencing this. And then the son's face looks at him. He says, I did this for you because I love you. And you'll never have to experience that. That's what the cross is for. That's what the cross is. It's offensive. It hurts you. It grinds against you. Because it says, you deserve that. And you can't be good enough. And at the same time, to those who take root in it, to those who love it, to those who lean into it, it says, but I took it for you. I did it. I love you. Now, a lot of people think that Paul is trying to juxtapose himself and contrast himself with these other um, Jewish leaders. And he certainly does that in the book of Galatians. But I don't think he's just saying, hey, I'm the guy that won't boast in your body. I'm the guy that's not going to use you. It's what Allison read earlier. Christ is the one who loves you. Christ is the one who lays down his life for you. Christ is the one that takes the abuse on his body so that your body doesn't have to. He rips himself up because he loves you. He invites you into that. And the beauty, guys, is that's just where it begins. Because then, Paul says, through which, meaning the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. And brothers and sisters, this is the best news. Jesus didn't only take your punishment. He didn't only take the beating that you deserve. But then he says, and guess what? All of what like was vines that wrapped you into that old world. All that you wanted to destroy your neighbors over. You know, that, that longing for, for affection, that longing for someone's um, blessing. All of that, and the way that you get it in the world, when you eat one another and you crawl over top of one another and you're a pack of wolves fighting for the same bone, I freed you from all of that. I picked you up and I set you apart. That's not you anymore. All of the world is dead to me. That's what Paul says. And why did he say it? He's talking to a bunch of Galatians who are like, man, I just wish we were good enough. Let's, let's, let's follow the circumcision party. <laughs> right? At least, at least then we know. And he's saying, you guys don't have to. You're golden. Your money. It's done. And God is working in you. He's implanted the Spirit to bring this to completion where you will no longer eat up your wife and she will no longer eat up you and you will no longer eat up your friend and he will no longer eat up you. They won't climb over top of you, but you're free and you're free in me because I've taken the punishment and I've brought you into relationship with myself. It's the good news, friends. That's why we can take the sword and say, the cross and charge in. Right? Like, that's it. You know, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a nerd, but I've really fallen in love with nerd things, and so I butcher nerdy stuff. So just bear with me. 
Um, it's, it's a travesty. It really is. Um, I want to say his name is Aomir. And he's the son or nephew of Theoden. I'm good? Okay, good. <laughs> good thanks, guys. The nerd corner over here. I love you guys. You guys have it. You guys have a monopoly on goodness right now. Okay, so, so Amir comes up over the hill, or Gandalf comes up over the hill, and sees Theoden fighting, you know, the Urukai by himself in Helm's Deep, and it is hopeless. He's got seven guys on his side, and hundreds of orcs that just want to eat, literally eat them, which is, yeah, perfect, right? So he's, he's fighting and hacking his way through these, and he's toast, and then Gandalf comes up, the hill and he says, Theoden alone. And Amir comes up and he says, no, not alone. Well, here I am! And then they all like dive into the most like intense clash of swords and spears and horses and you're like, how did anybody survive? And at the same time that was awesome, <laughs> right? And like, that's, that's the feeling here. Let's dive in. Let's go. We don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to live this life anymore. I don't have to eat you up, Tim. I don't. We both can live together. Because we're both loved by the Savior. And He's destroyed the world. He's crucified the world with us. We've been, we've been set free. I've covered up my timer. So I have no long how, how, no clue how long I've been preaching. I'm sorry, Gene and Keith. Friends, I didn't even start my timer. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, but we're at the final point. We're at the surprise point. And as we as we get to this surprise point, like let me let me just say, I'm a people pleaser, and you know this. And one of the things the people pleaser can't do is when he's in the car with someone who is about to make the bad decision to go and end his life or just mess up. He can't let the conversation stop. He's got to find another way to spin it until that person says, actually, I'm going to stay in the car with you and keep going. Right? And you just you just can't let him go. And you think, ah, uh, uh, and you feel the hope, helplessness and the hopelessness, and then you say something and the other person's stone-faced, as they often are, right? Because they want to go do what they want to do anyways. Right? And, so you're, and so you're like, oh, please, please, Lord, give me something, and he never does. <laughs> or at least he rarely does for me. And I'm like, Lord, please, I, like this guy's going to go die. Or this guy's going to go make the mistake of his life. Or this guy's going to go hurt someone or hurt himself. Help me. Give me something to say. And then I have to um, just let them go. Well, listen to this. That's my timer right there. Welcome back, guys. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Paul hangs up the phone. Paul lets them go. Paul says, I'm done. I've said it. I have the right to say it. I bear on my body the marks of Christ. I'm done. You go do what you want. Now, this blows my mind because I can never do that, right? I've got to save someone. I've got to hold on to them. Um, in a class of seminary students, 
a story was told where one guy, this man, you're walking on a bridge, and this person runs up and gives you a rope and then jumps off the bridge. And he's hanging at the bottom of the bridge onto this rope. And you, you're holding the rope. And he says, don't let me go. Don't let me go. I'll die if you let me go. Right? And, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> I got to hold on. And so you're like, please climb up, climb up the rope. But he's not doing that. He's just hanging there. Like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't let me go. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. And you're hanging on to this rope. And you're like, dude, I'm not He-Man. Like, you're big. I'm not. I, I can't hold on to this anymore. Please climb. Try. Do something. And they're like, no, 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 no. Just don't drop. Just don't let it go. And Dr. Zink, who is the most kind man you will ever meet, he says, and then you let go. And you could hear like an audible, you could hear an audible gasp throughout the congregation. We were all like, oh, no, because we're all pastors and we, we all want to help people and we don't want to, you know. And, and Dan says, hey, what I didn't tell you is if you would really die, you know, you let go. He's not telling you that. You don't know. You're not the last step. Christ is. No one can go and destroy their life to the point that Christ cannot repair it. There's no one who can do that. And no one can do that to you. There is no darkness too deep that the dawn cannot pierce, friends. And the dawn is Christ. And you are His Israel. You are His treasured possession. And if anyone tries to eat you up, you let someone know. That's who you are, friends. That's the cross we have. The war cry we have. The boast we have. The Christ has done it all. He saved us from this world. And He's gonna make it, He's gonna make it all right in the end. Trust in Him. You can let people go. Because Christ has got them too. And Christ loves them. That's right. Heavenly Father, we know that we never hear about the Galatians again. And yet we know that we will meet many of them in glory. Father, I thank You. I thank You for the cross that gives us freedom, that gives us a point to boast in. That we are Yours. That You love us. I pray that this would be a church that loves the body. I pray that we would be pastors who love the people. Work in us. Change us. Help this truth to sink into our hearts and and, and, and free us. In your name I pray. Amen.